0: Hello, and welcome to the Amber Live interviews. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live. We want to remind you to subscribe to us both here and at youtube.com slash amberlive. You don't want to miss a moment of Amber LeMay, the Larry King of drag queens. There's so much more to the show than just the interviews that Amber does each week. We have hundreds of interviews, comedy sketches, songs, and more on YouTube that you can watch anytime, but... In the meantime, you can listen to the amazing interviews right here. Now enjoy this episode of Amber Live Interviews.
1: It's time for another Amber Live update. And this time we have a special, special guest. It's his third appearance on Amber Live. Oh, and Ken, come on in. how it's oh, you
2: again.
1: People are going to start talking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'd be disappointed if they didn't.
1: Uh, Right, right. If they're talking about us, they're not talking about someone else. (laughs) So back in February, you were on because you've written so many books about um, uh, the gay history of Chicago and and plays and uh, uh, magazine articles. And then uh, recently you were on to talk about the AIDS garden in Chicago. And now you want to talk about one of your new projects. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, What I'm working on now is I'm writing uh, something... A book. I'm calling it something because I'm. It's superstitious. I hate calling it a book until it's a book. Um, I'm working on something about the great uh, golden era bathhouse, Mans Country, Chicago, which was here at fifty fifteen North Clark Street, from nineteen seventy three until twenty eighteen when the building was demolished. Um, it's. There is so much history wrapped up in that building and its history, and the whole era of the golden age of bathhouses. There's so much significance there, especially because bathhouses of that age have been very much demonized and uh, all because of the AIDS crisis. You know, it, it, they were. Um, their significance was completely wiped out, but they were actually really important places for entertainment, for seeing art, for community. Um, you have to remember this is coming out of any, when Man's Country opened, like this is four years after Stonewall. So I know, so people are, you know, go from being arrested for doing what you're doing to being able to join a club and, you know, create this erotic wonderland, you know? And that was a huge political statement, you know, to claim your sexuality like that, to say, we're not, you know, this isn't um, something that, that is that some small part of my life. This is something that's significant and important and something to revel in, you know? How,
1: how often did you attend a man's country?
2: Uh, probably... I would say like once a month, maybe nothing. Um, yeah. I mean, it would, I'd say it would average once a month. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> Were there other bath houses in Chicago
2: at the time? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, well, there's currently Steamworks still. Oh. Um, and before Steamworks, it was the Unicorn. Um, there was Man's World that was on Western. Um, Chuck, who ended up Chuck Renslow? Who ended up opening Man's Country? Um, he owned uh, the half a sh- half a share of Club Bath Chicago, which were also here at the time. So that's actually what got his feet wet. And wanting he wanted to uh, make a bathhouse that was like the Continental in New York, somewhere okay. that was the complete experience, somewhere that wasn't like here's your key and a white towel, have fun. You know, something that, that offered a lot more and it became that and it's- so
1: We've got some pictures. Let's, uh, let's share some sure. pictures that tell us about that. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's okay, the- Okay, this is
2: one of the early brochures. Um, so it's going to be a new plateau of pleasure. So <laughs> as you can see, there's very much like a sense of exploration and revelry with all this. You know, it's it's not it's nothing that that needs to be or has to be hidden anymore. There's like a real pride in it in general. The fact that it would have a f- glossy brochure, you know, and that's <laughs> opens too.
1: It's easy to wipe off. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that too. Um, so one of the co-owners uh, of Man's Country was Dumb or Judos, which. He's also known as the erotic artist Etienne um, who he and Tom of Finland are sort of the big the big men of uh, gay erotic history and with that image as well it's interesting because when man's country first opened there was a man's country New York as well and they were going to um, they were going to to be related somehow but what happened was Man's Country New York went very much the route of like ten floors of sex. I mean, the Man's the the Man's Country New York had, um, I think it was the eighth floor. They had a semi. Like the eighth floor was a semi that was just a big orgy room, like the back of a like the actual like taillights red taillights red the whole deal. But. So, and the Chicago version of Man's Country was more like, you know, we're gonna bring entertainment here. Rusty Warren was there. Uh, Waylon Flowers and Madam were there. I know, some great, Charles Charles uh, uh, Pierce was there. Charles Bush was there, who I just interviewed for the book um, last week. Oh, we've got that in common, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and he, um, he, it was one of uh, his early sort of performance gigs, wow! you know, and oh, they, okay. I also as a patron. And this is more of Etienne's work. Um, and you can see just how incredible the artwork and advertising was for this place. And not only that, but Etienne, Dom, drew these incredible murals on the walls. So like going up the main staircase in man's country, um, you're going up alongside a mural on either side that is the, are these really hot men going up a staircase too. And then at the top is a naked guy um with a liar, like L-Y-R-E. Is that how you pronounce it? Anyway, um, I think there's an image of this um that Etienne did, and he's um Uh, he's, yes, right at, uh, no, that's not him, sorry, but it's the same sort of image that's right at the top of the, uh, the grand staircase going to the music hall. And not only that, but Chuck, who was the owner, also used to have Chris Studios, which was in the 1950s, like one of those physique studios, you know, with the posing straps and everything with, um, you know, that got around, um, Pornography laws at the time, basically, and so he, there were also these incredible, like, original photos of from Chris the studio of these models from the fifties. There were like, there were there was artwork by the Hun there, all these incredible things. But the most important thing I think about Man's Country that comes out in all this research was. That it was such a community space. Like, this was a place to take the party when the bars closed. This was a place people went for the weekend. Like, they brought, they brought, like, throw pillows, beads to hang in the doorway. Like, they brought decor. You know, (laughs) that was a thing. Um, And one of the things that I really wanted to get across about Man's Country, which is a very important point, was that. This was happening in Chicago, and at when uh, when the AIDS crisis hit, bathhouses in New York, and LA, and San Francisco were all closed. But Man's Country remained open, and that's because um, a decade earlier, some doctors had come to Man's Country, and they were sort of young doctors, and they they had an awareness about gay men's health and how that was changing. And so what happened is they ended up opening a testing clinic at Nance Country for STDs, you know, which are now STIs. So anyway, one of the great things about that too is one of the uh, MC, the head entertainer, the head of the music hall, all of that was Wanda Lust And Wanda Lust was visiting a friend in the hospital who had hepatitis and to make it fun for her friend, she dressed up as a nurse and called herself Nurse Lust and went to see him in the hospital. Well, this coincided with the uh, STD clinic open and Wanda took that persona to man's country. And so she became like, she made getting tested for STDs fun. Like it became, instead of becoming the shaming thing, it became something that a sexually responsible gay man simply did. You know, it was just the responsible thing to do, and it took the stigma away from it. That succeeded to such a degree that Wanda then and the the uh, health providers that were there had a VD van, which was also known as a mobile testing unit that they took around to all these different places in Chicago, like the hot spots, like, you know, a corner. Yes. A mm-hmm. corner where all these different significant things, you know, bars were and, and entertainment places for LGBTQ people. Wanda would jump out of the van in her full nurse garb, you know, six feet seven with her heels on. Cause Wanda was very tall and she would run into the bars and try to get people to come out and get tested for STDs. And if you went with Nurse Lust, she gave you a cookie. And what happened was it might all seem very silly, but in the first week they were on the streets, a thousand people got tested for STDs through the mobile testing units. So when AIDS hit, man's country had this long standing history of a relationship with the Chicago Department of Health as a place of education and a place of testing. So um, that was the reason it it could remain open, you know? And um, so it, it had a very different trajectory.
1: uh, How many lives lives did Wanda Lust save, you know, that's, uh, or prolong, perhaps. Now, you wrote about Wanda in one of your plays, which... uh, Oh,
2: Wanda, yes. Wanda has a piece in that, too. Um, Yeah, uh, Wanda's one of those people in my history of Chicago, in studying the LGBTQ history of Chicago, that um, her life was very short, but very significant, and... I really think it's important to celebrate our pioneers, especially because you know at, there's so many le- even in the, the story about man's country with STD testing, there's so many lessons in there. You know but all that history is, is fragile too. I mean there's the different clippings about the, the um, VD van, but to know the whole story and how it built up and the repercussions and why this happened. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an incredible fun treasure hunt, really, to to research stuff like this, and I'm having a blast doing the history of man's country.
1: You were you've written several other books. Where are you in the process of this one? Would you say you're?
2: I've done a lot of it. I've yeah. My um uh my OCD has been in overdrive with this. I've I'd say. I would say like 80% done, like I'd say easily by the end of the year. I work pretty fast. So it's, I've worked uh, with Tracy, Tracy Bain, um, writing a biography of Chuck Renslow. Um, So I'd done a lot of the research from Man's Country, but when Tracy and I did the bio of Chuck, we were under very much of a time constraint to get the book finished. And so I could see that there was so much more there it felt like when i was doing it and then you know there wasn't the time but then what happened afterwards is the building itself was demolished in 2018 after man's country formally closed because it was still open when tracy and i were working on the book so it felt like the time now that the story was there it felt like the time to sort of capture it you know and it I'm doing, I'm working a lot in conjunction with the Leather Leather Museum and Archives here in Chicago, which has a lot of, which has pretty much everything of Chuck's, a lot of Dom's artworks. They have the Etienne Auditorium, which is huge murals of those beautiful Etienne erotic murals all around with theater seating. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful um, theater.
1: Well, Owen, I want you to come back and tell us more about when when the book. I will
2: be happy to. I will be happy to. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible journey. It's an incredible ride.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking us along with you on that ride. Thank you, and looking forward for you to coming back for um, your fourth visit.
2: (laughs) I will always get. Yeah, I'm as close as a telephone call.
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh, good. Thank you very much, Owen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Amber Live Interviews. Remember to subscribe to us so you don't miss a single minute of the fun. And remember, it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJDPro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support AmberLive button. Thank you. Live from the House of LeMay Makeup and Dressing Room. Here comes Amber. Stop what you're doing.
1: Here comes Amber. She's just doing what she can. Here comes Amber. Cue the spotlight. Here comes Amber. With two drinks in her hand. The matriarch of fashion. Sequence, sewer glasses. Look away. Ask her, oh, does she do it? There's really nothing to it. She's got that on her game. If you can have a party, or if you're naughty, call up the house of the maid. Here comes your favorite gal. Here comes your queen. Here comes your talk the to town. And we're alive tonight. The music starts
2: playing. It's time for cabareting. And we're alive tonight.